Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm going to ask a question that I think I know the answer. Do you daydream? Doesn't everybody? I mean, you cannot be mentally, continually engaged in the environment around you. I don't think that's possible. But what do you daydream about? Do you daydream about a better life? Do you daydream about a better world? Do you daydream about days gone by? And here's the big question. Do you ever daydream about life after death? Ever? I'm going to guess that most people are going to say no. And the reasons might be this. You just don't have enough experience, maybe, to daydream about it. Enough context. So death kind of feels like a, like a wall that you run up against, even though it's not. Or, and this is, it's not okay, but it's a reality. Maybe you do have doubts. Well, today, I would like to speak to any doubts that any of you might have. And I'd like to give you some context. Not so that you can daydream. No, it has a much broader impact on life than that. And I want you to think about what Jesus has made real for us. And to do that, I'm going to need your uh, little attention up here and in your imagination because I need to make a timeline for you. So here's a timeline right here. Down here, that's today. And then I'm going to put on this timeline the day that you die. Where's that? Right here? I'm going to move it over here a little bit, make you comfortable. I'll I'll put it here. Okay. So here's the day of your death. But for this illustration anyway, here's the day of Jesus' return. Now we all know that, you know, your death could be right here. Or Jesus' return could be right here, right? But let's just say for the illustration, here's your death. Here's Jesus' return. What what happens in this period right here? What is that? Theologians call it the intermediate period. And people, including pastors and theologians, have struggled for centuries to, to really decipher what is the Bible saying about this period right here the one you will experience immediately upon leaving this world there's a couple i think bad ideas i'll tell you why i think they're bad but they're out there so be aware one a group of people catch on to the idea that jesus uses the word sleep to talk about death and paul uses the same word and if you really study it They both want to use the word sleep for your physical death instead of death because they want to reserve the word death for being damned. All right? So it is not to suggest at all that you have some sort of inanimate phase where you just sort of wake up and you're some other place. That's garbage. And it clashes with scripture. It clashes with Revelation 6, where where Jesus talks to, or God talks to, the martyrs underneath the throne, and he clearly speaks to them in terms of time. 
and that they have to wait in the judgment day still to come. So I got to throw soul sleep out, even though it's very popular. There's two other kind of creative, kind of weird, I think, ideas that I'm both going to throw out. One is the idea that when you die, you kind of transcend time. And you just immediately go to the end. It's, it's like Monopoly. You pick up that card, it says, immediately pass, go, collect $200. I think that's what it says. I haven't played Monopoly in a long time. Um, and yet that, that clashes with the very same passage. And I don't think we ever transcend time. God transcends time. We don't become God. So I'll throw that idea out, even though I know there's pastors in Missouri Synod to teach it. And then there's one a little bit less common yet, a little bit weirder, probably never expressed from the pulpit. But you find it in people's writings. The Bible says that when we're saved, we're in Christ. That phrase is very, very common. And so they come up with the idea that being in Christ means somehow that we, our personality is absorbed into Jesus. And we're in heaven, but we're just in heaven as part of Jesus. Unconscious of what's happening, I guess. It, it's almost like Eastern religion. And I really got to toss that out because, because of everything. That's just a weird idea. Here's what I would say happens. And it's confirmed not only by scripture, but by people's experiences. When you die, you might have just a few moments of lingering above your body. You might have this trip through the, through the tunnel toward the light that you hear about with near-death experiences. But it's not much. And immediately you are in heaven. Heaven. What's heaven? It's, it's not a state of mind. It is a place. I would go through every Bible with a marker and put capital H. Every place they put small h, as long as it's appropriate. It is a place. It is a place where you have a real body. If you got the idea that you're going to walk around like some sort of ghost, throw that idea out. There is such a thing as a heavenly body. It's as real as this body is. Only it's for another space. Parallel universe, I would say. Heaven itself. And what's our life like? Awesome. Is what I would say. Awesome. I don't know what we'll all do there. We'll have tasks. We'll see God. We'll interact with Jesus, we'll interact with each other, nobody will have a grumpy day, you don't even need caffeine to get going in the morning, no daylight savings time. Sinful nature and the curse will be gone, so life will be awesome. That's why it kind of confuses people as to why there is more. Now, Heaven is unfortunately not for all. If you looked at or you paid attention to our first reading, that is a picture, one of the few that we have, of human beings in heaven. And notice how it describes 
How many people are there? He says, a great multitude that no one could count. So we're talking about hundreds of millions, perhaps? Billion, maybe? But I do want to make the sad note here that on the face of this earth, over the course of its history, there's been probably over 10 billion people who've lived here. And they're not all accounted for here. Being connected to Christ is not just an option. It's the only way we become right before God. And while it is, you know, a gift, a lot of people throw it out. Now, I do believe it's our responsibility as a church to get that information dispersed. I do believe that we haven't always accomplished that. And I am certain that Jesus has ways to make sure that everybody has exposure to the gospel. But I would know from what Jesus says that not everybody takes it. So there'll be people missing. And if you're like me, and you look at family, and there might be a question mark hanging over some of them. And that is something that I think hurts, but I will say this experience, it hurts less and less. It's kind of fading. They are either there, and I'll rejoice or they are not and it won't determine or won't take away a bit from my experience there heaven wasn't always on the board for humans if you look at the Old Testament it is never promised for humans just the resurrection of the dead and a new earth that surprises people I don't think heaven was on the docket until it was possible for heaven to be on the docket. Um, Jesus had to atone for sins. Satan had to be expelled. Once it was, now this becomes a part of it. From But when we're just talking for now, from here to here, what happens here? First Thessalonians says that we'll return with Christ. This is the day of judgment day. It's mandatory attendance for all. For those who've been in heaven, there's not anything really to worry about. There is just a judgment of deeds. Yeah, and you might worry about that. I don't know. And there is a reward or there is not a reward for the time that goes beyond that. And beyond that, this line doesn't stop here. New heaven new earth and I got a few things to say about that as well the universe gets a massive remake sin and the curse no longer a part of it we have a resurrection of our body what can you say about it well better than what you got that's for sure no illness no death glorious and Paul uses one word that is very vague and we've made it vague that's the word spiritual it's a spiritual body what does that mean spiritual means just about a hundred different things to a hundred different people right there is no 
agreement and as to what spiritual means. But after looking at this for a while, I think that this is what it means. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have substance. It means that it interfaces with your heavenly body and you can pass just like an angel would today to heaven or here or be here on earth. You don't lose heaven and gain a new earth. You get them both. It's kind of God's, but wait, there's more. And there is more. God is a God who cares for us. He keeps giving and giving and giving. And what will we do there again? Well, now this new earth incorporates a lot more of the current creation in its originally perfected form. Where heaven was maybe more novel to us than, than this life was. But in all the nearness to God, the love that we have with the people who are there, the heightening of our senses, the beauty of it all, the endless adventure makes it pretty awesome. It's awesome already, but it'll be even more awesome when Jesus completes it. And only then, when we have the resurrection of our body, can you say that our life has now been cleansed from the impact of sin. What makes you, you, is not just your soul. It's your soul and your body, or in this case, and your bodies. Unless you can call a spiritual body sort of a merger into one. That is what you have. Now, does it impact your life? Yes, it does. It absolutely should. It shouldn't be some sort of small addendum that you stick to the end of life. You should think about how it affects everything that you do, including grieve. Now, I'm not saying don't grieve. You certainly can't grieve. But when you love somebody, what does that mean? That means you want the very best for them, right? If you just love what they did for you, that's not exactly love. When you love somebody, you want the very best for them. And heaven certainly is a major upgrade from here. So that is the best for them. And you should think about that. Not just for them, but for yourself someday. So changes how we grieve, what we expect out of life. We act so often like this life is all we got. This life is the worst part of what we got. And the shortest. Don't act like it's everything, because it's not. It shapes what we value. Now the world wants to tell you to value wealth and power and stuff and I don't know what else. All of it's just temporary. Hardly worth your, your while. But we value the work of the kingdom of heaven and what it accomplishes. It shapes what we seek to accomplish in life. We're here to do what Jesus has prepared in advance for us to do. And grant you, when somebody is taken from our life, that does reshape what that is. 
But there still is things that Jesus has prepared for us to do. That's what we should be about. That is what will fill the void when when people leave in front of us. And we're not going to leave all at once. You know, short, short of something like a nuclear attack. And it shapes how you view aging and death. And, and this, I think, you know, even if you're young, enjoy it. It doesn't last that long. And you start to feel the effects of the fact that you are getting older and every day getting closer to the day of your departure. And you can live in manifest denial of that if that's your speed and that's what you want to do. But I'm telling you, that's probably not the way to go. It's going to become undeniable at some point. You need to focus instead to the fact that you are eternal. You're going to go through this phase and you're going to move on to better. And you need to think about it and not be so stuck in this world or your past. So all these things change by the very fact that Jesus Christ has sought you out, that Jesus Christ has paid the price, that you have eternal life. And those you love who are in Christ have eternal life as well. I think that's that's context enough to daydream about it. It's context enough to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.